You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The U.S. Senate authorizes more COVID-19 small business relief, a data exposure at the U.S. Small Business Administration, a zero-day disclosure process error bites IBM, a list of the ransomware gangs who maintain leak sites, the CTL League looks like a model for cyber volunteer organizations, the U.S. Senate reports its evaluation on the intelligence community's look at Russian active measures in 2016, Joe Kerrigan from JHU on Microsoft Zero Days, Our guest is Chris Childs from OST on what companies need to be considering before implementing 5G and calls for deterrence amid a converged campaign of disinformation. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 22, 2020. Yesterday afternoon, the U.S. Senate voted to approve an additional $310 billion in the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. Fortune reports that the House, which is expected to vote in favor of the measure, could do so as early as tomorrow. The entire stimulus bill is larger than the amount allocated for the PPP. Bloomberg says the package totals $484 billion. In an incident that isn't directly related to the Paycheck Protection Program, but that amounts to bad news for the U.S. Small Business Administration and its clients, the SBA has disclosed that personal information belonging to nearly 8,000 small business owners who applied for assistance under the agency's Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program appears to have been accidentally exposed. The data involved includes names, social security numbers, addresses, birth dates, email addresses, phone numbers, citizenship status, and insurance information, according to the Washington Post. Again, this is a distinct and longer-running program from the Paycheck Protection Program, but small businesses affected by COVID-19 shutdowns have also been eligible to apply for assistance under the EIDL. The CTI League, full name Cyber Threat Intelligence League, is a voluntary group of information security professionals – and they've gained some positive reviews for their work helping organizations, especially hospitals, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Founded just last month on March 14th, the CTI League services are in high demand, CyberScoop says, and The Hill describes the group's activities as a quiet daily war. U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Director Krebs tweeted his appreciation for the CTI League's work during the emergency. The CTI League's inaugural report says the organization has grown to over 1,400 vetted members in 76 countries from 45 different sectors, including cybersecurity, healthcare, technology, telecommunications, computer emergency response teams, government, and law enforcement. There have long been discussions of the ways in which volunteer organizations might enhance cybersecurity, 
but the CTI League may afford the first clear example of how one might actually work in practice. It seems closer in conception to earlier models from outside the sector, like the U.S. Civil Air Patrol or the ham operators of the Amateur Radio Relay League. The U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence reported this week on the U.S. intelligence community's investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections. This volume of the committee's report, the fourth of a projected five, set out to evaluate the credibility of the intelligence community's conclusions and the integrity of its analytical processes. The committee concluded that the intelligence community conducted its investigation properly and that its analysis supported the conclusion that Russia sought to damage the Clinton campaign to the advantage of the Trump campaign. The intelligence community did not offer recommendations for protecting future elections against foreign influence, but as the IC people interviewed told the committee, making recommendations like that isn't something the intelligence community is supposed to do. The Washington Post suggests that Congress will have plenty of recommendations of its own before November rolls around. On Monday, U.S. Senators Blumenthal, Democrat of Connecticut, Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, Warner, Democrat of Virginia, Purdue, Republican of Georgia, and Markey, Democrat of Massachusetts, wrote to CISA Director Krebs and U.S. Cyber Command's General Nakasone asking that their organizations increase their efforts against cyber threats that have emerged during the COVID-19 pandemic. They said in their letter, quote, We write to urge the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in coordination with United States Cyber Command and its partners to issue guidance to the healthcare sector, convene stakeholders, provide technical resources, and take necessary measures to deter our adversaries in response to these threats. The call for deterrence is directed against Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, all of whom the senators say are currently engaged in attacks against healthcare, public health, and research organizations, a particularly threatening target set as the U.S. attempts to contain and recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. The transition to 5G continues, despite the occasional vandalism of 5G tower installations from conspiracy theorists who think it's somehow responsible for the global pandemic. There's more to 5G than just speed. Chris Childs is from Open Systems Technologies, and he offers insights on what companies need to consider before implementing 5G. When we're looking at 5G, I think there's additional risks that we need to be considering from a a business perspective, but also from a consumer protection standpoint. Because, as I mentioned, we're going to be seeing more data being collected and different types of data. So that means that, you know, it's more than just you know, customer data at this point. If we're talking about controlling things like driverless cars or healthcare devices, those are things that could, you know, mean life or death. And if organizations are not thinking about some of those risks at the forefront, then there's, you know, potential for for issues down the road. Can you share with us uh, some specific examples of, of the types of things that you work on to... Uh make sure that message reaches the people who are using these tools? Yeah, that's a um, good question. I think the, in terms of the, the work that we're doing at OST, we're working a lot in a, called digital transformation. So we're working with organizations on kind of both sides of that, organizations who are trying to understand what the, this whole technology thing is, which I think to a lot of us is, is a funny thing to think about. But hmm. 
the businesses are um, tend to move a little bit slower in that area. So in the, on the other side of it, we're helping businesses who are looking to move faster that maybe they, they're a digital native company like Tignest, for example, we've worked with them in the past where, you know, they, they started as a digital company and they were looking to improve their product and move faster so that they could keep up with what their customers were looking for. And I think in terms of ways that we're, we're looking at the, the user interface for those things, it's, it's looking at security from the point of view of, of the customer. So we're looking at their customers and talking to them to figure out what their concerns are around security and privacy so that we can make better decisions to, to make them feel more comfortable and have a better system from the forefront rather than just tacking it on at the end once something major happens. When you look around the industry today, do you feel as though the message is out that people have gotten the word that, that these things matter, that, that the design of these interfaces makes a real difference? I, I think we're getting to that point. I would say that what we're starting to see is a, is a move in that direction where organizations are starting to, un, to see the need where they need to, to care about their customers and they need to understand the, the impact that they have on their customers. But I, I think we still have a room to go in that area and, and help organizations see the benefits of that because it's not always something that can easily be tracked on a spreadsheet. It's not as simple as saying this feature we added to our application has done X for customers. Mm-hmm. We have to be looking more long-term. And a lot of organizations don't think about that until an issue comes up. That's Chris Childs from Open Systems Technologies. A U.S. State Department report describes converging COVID-19 disinformation campaigns Politico has reviewed a report by the State Department's Global Engagement Center that concludes three governments, those of Russia, China, and Iran, are pushing complementary lines of disinformation, most of which contrast Russian, Chinese, and Iranian effectiveness with American incompetence and which suggests that the virus itself is an American bioweapon. The lines of disinformation have both domestic and international audiences – And it seems likely that the convergence is to a great extent an opportunistic matter. Iran, China, and Russia share a common adversary, the United States, and it's useful to deflect any blame for the crisis in that direction. The report describes the activity as a convergence, and that was partially confirmed by a comment from a representative of the Global Engagement Center to the Wall Street Journal. Leah Gabrielle, the GEC's special envoy, told the journal that much of the common messaging did seem to be opportunistic, but she added that there was also some evidence of coordinated action among the three governments. She said, quote, Russia, China, and Iran do have media cooperation agreements, and I think this is important because disinformation narratives are known to originate from official state news sources, end quote. The Chinese and Russian embassies in Washington didn't respond to the journal's request for comment, but Iran's mission to the United Nations in New York emailed the paper as follows, quote, For sure, any disinformation or propaganda on the coronavirus pandemic is emanating from the U.S. administration, not Iran. U.S. media is full of stories of lies and disinformation spread by the administration, end quote. So there you have it, direct from Turtle Bay.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, always great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story came by. This is uh, from our friends over at Naked Security by Sophos. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and they're covering some uh, Windows Zero days here. Right. Um, let's let's go through this together. But why don't we start off uh, just to get everybody up to speed? Uh, quick review. What are we talking about when we say a zero day? A zero day is a vulnerability that is not generally known to the public. Right. Mm. So, in other words, you have this vulnerability right now, and you have zero days to prepare for it. There was a researcher. Uh, I can't remember who it was. So, if you if you're hearing this. Let me know who I'm quoting here. But he said, I don't like the term zero day. I would prefer a negative number day exploit. <laughs> because, <laughs> in, in fact, you don't have zero days. You have actually been exposed to this for some period of time. Because this vulnerability has always existed in the code since it came out. Or has mm-hmm. uh, since the code has been updated to whatever version had this vulnerability, that's how long you've had this problem. You just right. didn't know about it until now. So the um, point is, when you hear something referred to as a zero day, that means it demands your attention. It demands right your away. immediate attention, exactly. Yeah. So what are we covering here from uh, from Sophos with these zero days? Well, they're 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 talking about Patch Tuesday, which just happened in April, and Microsoft did not miss it because of the pandemic, which is very good on Microsoft's part. There are uh, a bunch of fixes in this. Uh, they were saying that this month's patch updates Windows versions from seven through ten, and it fixes a cadre of about 113 CVE-level vulnerabilities or flaws, um, hmm. 19 of which are labeled critical. Now, CVE is the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures. I always get that wrong. I always think it's Common Vulnerability Enumeration for some reason. I don't know why I have that stuck in my head. <laughs> but it's Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures. It's, it's a list maintained by MITRE of all the uh, different flaws that have been found. And when something is, is deemed bad enough, it MITRE issues a CVE number for it. Okay. And this particular CVE, uh, 2020-0968, is interesting because Microsoft says they're not seeing it exploited yet in the wild, but the article says it soon will be. 
And the reason it soon will be exploited is because the bad guys know that not everybody patches on time, right? Mm -hmm. Or patches in a timely manner. So when they see Patch Tuesday come out, every bad guy in the world goes, get that patch because that patch is going to show us where the vulnerabilities are. And they can look at the patch, they can reverse engineer the patch, see what Microsoft is changing, and it's the, the vulnerabilities will stick out like a sore thumb. Because then right. they can so compare a- it to the existing code, they know exactly where to look, and they can find it very quickly, and then they can begin exploiting them. Mm-hmm. So it's like a roadmap to the vulnerability. Exactly. It, it's a roadmap to the vulnerability. So when this patch comes out, your time is very limited. It's kind of the irony of of the problem, right? Microsoft has to fix the vulnerability. But in order to fix the vulnerability, they essentially have to tell everybody how the vulnerability works. And, and not they don't actually tell everybody in plain English, but they have to fix it so it makes it easy for people to find it. And, and there's coordination here, right? Where they're, they're right. like, Microsoft will work up the patch. They'll, they'll be alerted privately of the vulnerability, let's say. Correct. They'll work up the patch so that the CVE and the patch can be released at the same time. Correct. Yeah. Or, the, or MITRE will say, uh, we have a CVE here. We're not releasing any technical details until Microsoft patches. Um, I see. You know, MITRE is, is, conducts themselves very well. They're a trusted source for for these for this vulnerability tracking, but the other the other piece of this ecosystem, if you will, is that there are security researchers out there that that find these vulnerabilities, and most of them behave ethically as well. So they will call Microsoft's uh, or get in touch with Microsoft's bug bounty program and say, "Hey, we have a bug, uh, and it's it's critical, and we're going to go ahead and give you the information so you can fix it." The vast majority of people will work in inside that system. There are there are actually uh, companies out there like Hacker One or a similar company that runs their bug uh, bounty program for them. And then when you participate in these bug bounty programs, you're obligated to conduct yourself in a um, in uh, an ethical way in order to get compensation for it. But some people will go ahead and uh, do a couple of different things. They will either sell the vulnerability on the black market, which is very bad because mm-hmm. they never tell the uh, the company that has the vulnerability that it exists, and and they're financially motivated not to do so, or mm-hmm. they will just uh, publish it right away. Now, this is something that's uh, part of your day to day at Johns Hopkins, right? You're you're part of the team that uh, that handles disclosure when some of your students, your professors, the researchers there find things? Yes, yes. I am the vulnerability disclosure coordinator for the Information Security Institute. So if anybody finds a vulnerability, they're supposed to come to me. Some of our cryptographers have relationships, existing relationships with other companies. Uh, but yeah, generally when our students find something, I disclose it. And uh, I will tell you there are two kinds of companies out there. There are companies that embrace this and are responsive. And then there are companies that that are like, hey, uh, what are you doing reverse engineering our stuff? You can't do that. Uh, and they and they try to get litigious, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work. It never works, and it never will work. And companies have to embrace the fact that their software is going to have defects, or their hardware is going to have defects, and they need to to find ways to fix it. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. 
say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With Identity Orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to share your feedback now.